Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Word of the Lord from Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. Whoever believes in him will live forever. 
he gave us his one and only son to save for god so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us
At this time, any kids who are choosing to go downstairs to continue their worship may head over by Miss Janet in the doorway there, and we'll send them out with our blessing. Of course, kids are always welcome to stay in here as well. All right, are we gathered? All right, we'll send you out with our blessing. Adults, you ready? The Lord be with you. Nicely done, guys. Um, while they are heading out, if you can give your attention to the video screen, there is a Kids Hope uh, video to watch a moment, and then Don House Camp has a few words to share with us. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dawn Housecamp, and I am the Kids Hope Director here at Heart Awake. And thank you for having me this morning. Um, today, I would like to share a short story with you. Um, I have called it A Calling of Hope about three kids, a second grader at Lakeshore Elementary, a sixth grader at Harbor Lights, and a recent West Ottawa High School graduate. A few weeks ago at Wednesday night community dinner, the second grader asked me with a mouthful of food, when will my new bodyguard start meeting with me at school? I was puzzled and it took me a minute to figure out that he was referring to his new Kids Hope mentor that will be starting next week. I replied with a smile, she'll be there for you. 
Um, I explained that his bodyguard is actually a mentor, but like your mentor, she will always have your back. At that same table, the middle schooler, hearing our conversation, blurts out, do you know what I call my kid's hope mentor? I call her my antidepressant, because every time I see her, she makes me smile and laugh. Now, the recent West Ottawa graduate, Leah, is a new Kids Hope mentor this year. At this time, I do not know what her child calls her, but I do know why Leah was called to be a mentor. You see, Leah was in Kids Hope while she was in elementary school. She had a great role model and a great mentor. A mentor who was funny, taught her many games, who never liked to lose those games, and always came with candy. That mentor, as many of you might know her, was Mary Van Denen. Leah felt called to reach out to me this fall to become a Kids Hope mentor, to give back to a child what Mary had given to her. Leah is thriving in her new role as a Kids Hope mentor and hopes to one day become a teacher. Sadly, Mary never knew the impact she had on mentoring Leah before she passed away. As Kids Hope mentors, we may never see the difference we make, but we certainly do make a difference. And in Mary and Leah's case, Mary planted the seed in Leah, which continues to grow to this day. So that's why I'm sharing with you this story. Our school, Lakeshore Elementary, is asking for eight more mentors in addition to the 23 we already have, looking for people who are willing to walk alongside a child, play, read, maybe throw a football like you saw in the video. It's simple, really, just be a friend. The time commitment is only 45 minutes or to one hour a week. Most of the time, it's just games this year. And you'll be trained and well-supported as you faithfully serve a precious child. I wonder, are you feeling called to plant a seed that will bear fruit in the future? If you are, please contact me. I can be reached through the church office and also at my email at dawn at hardawake.com. Thank you. All of us need mentors. It doesn't mean just little kids, right? All of us need mentors in life. All right. I was asked to do prayer again today. And as some of you that have been here a little bit longer, my name is Linda. But I do prayer just a little bit differently. And I know that JB is going to be talking about prayer too today. So it just touches my heart because God has laid that on my heart. So today what God laid on my heart was Psalm 30. So through this psalm, I'm just going to read through it, and this is what is going to be our prayer. I will pause sometimes, so if you want to give some words up to God, I will leave space for that so that you can commune with him. That's what he asks all of us. I don't have to stand up here. I have no different power or gifting than any of you. So let's start. Psalm 30. Lord, I will exalt you. Lord, you have been so good. It's tough sometimes, but you have been so good. You lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. Thank you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord, because when I called for help, you came, you healed me, you stood alongside of me. Lord, help us to remember to give you praise for those times when you stood alongside of us, when the only words I could say were help. Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Let us sing praises to the Lord. You faithful people, praise his name. Help us, Lord, so that we can keep our focus on you. Lord, we know that your anger only lasts for a moment. And I know, Lord, that time in your book is not the same as time in my book. But yet, Lord, I know that your favor will last for a lifetime. Weeping may come in the night. Lord, those nights are so hard when my pillow is wet and I feel like no one is listening. And Lord, I know when I wake up in the morning, you will still be there. You will be rejoicing when the morning comes. Help me so that I can pull myself out of that pit. Help me so I can recognize that you've pulled me out of that pit and we can rejoice forever. Lord, help us not to feel too secure. Because when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, help me remember that I am still human, that I still fail. That I still need your help every day to take one step at a time. To talk to people that might need an encouraging word or even a smile. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Lord, those people that are listening now, no matter wherever they are, help those ones that are dismayed. Lord, tuck deep into their hearts. So that they can stand up and rejoice even for a moment. Help them, Lord, so that they can cry to you for mercy. Not stay stuck in the dismay. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Give us boldness, Lord, so that we're not silenced so that the dust doesn't have to praise you. Help us, Lord, so that we can get up and we can speak your name boldly and not be ashamed. Hear, O oh Lord, 
be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Lord, when we can turn our face to you, we can, we can begin to see what you have called us to do. Even though we feel like we might be in the pit, turn our face to you. Lord, you have turned my wailing into dancing. You have removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Lord, I know sometimes this feels so impossible for us because that weight, that weight that that sackcloth reveals, it is so heavy. Lord, but I know, I know that you can remove my sackcloth and you can clothe me with joy. Lord, help me to choose that joy. Lord, help me to choose to turn my face to you. Lord, help me that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Amen. Thank you, Linda. And thank you, Dawn, as well. And uh, good morning, Fusion. Good morning, good morning. It is, uh, it is good to be together. Amen. And uh, January's here again. Uh, anyone else surprised by how much snow you had to remove this morning? I'm the only one. Okay. I had a nice workout this morning. I was not expecting that to be part of my morning routine, but it was, it was, it was good. So I'm feeling pumped and ready to go. Not really. Anyway. Uh, it is good to be together, though, and we have a potluck this morning. And so if, if you're a guest joining us, first of all, welcome. My name is Pastor JB. Uh, so glad that you are here. You are welcome to come to the potluck. And if you did or did not bring a side dish, that is fine. We have plenty of food. Just come. Uh, we'll kind of move out these chairs. Norlin will be here giving us some instruction. Um, but that's part of kind of our vision this year of, of really trying to build community and make this a place of, of community and fellowship and belonging, a place where we share names. So you have fancy little names. Tags. Anyone get the, the new one with the little Fusion logo? Yeah, pretty good stuff. Shared names, shared experiences, so like potlucks, shared stories. We're going to have some prompts if you want to use those to kind of share some stories. Dawn, incredible stories. Amen. Uh, incredible stories of God's impact through Kids Hope Ministry. And as I think about Kids Hope, we think about feeding, Feed My Starving Children coming this March, Great Escape Camp that's coming up. These are all ways uh, that we participate with the ministry of this community. Um, and, and these are ways, these are acts of worship. And so when we talk about giving and we share like ways to give, and there's probably a thing on the screen. Okay, my joke didn't work. Anyway, that's fine. We got a little thing on the screen about how to give, but, but giving resources, financial resources, is an act of worship that we as part of this community, it's a way of giving back to God what he has given to us, but it's only one of the many ways that we give to God. We give our time, we give our energy, all toward these ministries that are making a real impact in our community. And uh, if you haven't been part of Kids Hope, I just encourage you, that one-on-one -on -one mentoring is life-changing, not just for the student that you meet with, but also for the person who is meeting with that student as well. 
Oh, there we go. There's my joke. Uh, anyway, so it's good. It's good, and it's good to be part of this community. Uh, but let's jump into our series this morning. Uh, we have been in a series covering the grand narrative of Scripture uh, using this book called The Story. And The Story does a wonderful job of splitting the, the, the large story and history of Scripture into 31 chapters. In January, we've been in a mini-series, uh, A Kingdom Torn. And we've been studying the book of Kings. Uh, specifically, the book of Kings kind of covers this stretch of history, of the Israel's history from Solomon uh, through the fall of Israel. We covered that last week, if you remember, uh, when the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria. And then today we're really covering the next, and that was like 200 plus years. We're going to cover the next 130 plus years when the southern kingdom of Judah falls to the Babylonian Empire. Uh, now today we're going to cover 2 Kings chapters 18 through through 25, kind of that stretch, uh, but we're really going to zero in on chapters 24 and 25 as far as that t- this time in history, the fall of Judah, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And we mentioned last week, uh, we looked at King Hezekiah, I don't know if you can read that, um, but King Hezekiah, who was a good king, his son Manasseh was like the worst king of Judah. And then there was Josiah who tried to institute some reforms, if you remember his story, he discovers the, the word uh, and, and reads the word of God. God and is just convicted to the heart, but those reforms come too late. And finally, this, this new um, empire, Babylon, comes in and takes out Jerusalem and Judah and carries them off into captivity to Babylon. Now here's the thing, chapter 17 of the story, this resource, the story, we're in chapter 17, actually does a wonderful job of weaving together different scriptural accounts, uh, looking at these scriptural um, scripture passages as, along with summaries that paint a picture of this devastating time in Israel's history uh, and weaving together different kinds of scripture. We have the historical accounts, the narrative, the story, which is uh, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, uh, but also woven in that chapter is the voice of the prophets. And we talked about the prophets a few weeks ago, but uh, in that chapter, it's, it's Jeremiah and Ezekiel who are speaking a word of, of hope, but also a word of warning to the people who have fallen away. And then there's a third genre of scripture in chapter 17 of the story. It's the prayers of the people. And specifically, it's the book of Lamentations uh, from the tradition of, of Jeremiah. These are the prayers of lament of God's people. Uh, a way to think of this is, um, you know, as far as news, we have news stories, which are kind of the facts. So kind of just the facts of the events. But then there's also like the opinion, the opinion section, like the op-eds. That's kind of commentary on what's happening. And then think of the laments as like the arts, the poets and the songwriters who are, who are expressing their emotions in this time and place of history. Is that helpful? I don't know. I, th- I kind of found that helpful as kind of a parallel. All those parallels fall apart at some point. But we've been spending much of our time in this series in the narrative, right? The plot points of the, the, the story of God's people. And this, the plot points are pretty simple. It's the, the Jerusalem falls, the temple's destroyed, the people are ex- exiled. It's an absolute, the most devastating season in Israel's history. Um, but this morning what I want to do is, is focus on the laments. We're going to be looking at the book of Lamentations, and you don't have to see all the different details in the book of Lamentations, but here's a quick summary of how the book of Lamentations is arranged, because I think it's pretty fascinating. The book of Lamentations is split up into five chapters, and the five chapters are five different poems. They're acrostic poems. Is that familiar? 
Acrostic poems are the poems, that, you remember in kindergarten where you'd write your name vertically and each letter stands for something? An acrostic poem is, is the, the first, that line, there's a line for every letter of the alphabet. In our alphabet, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But the Hebrew alphabet has 22 uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so there's 22 verses in each of these chapters, one verse for every, that begins with the first, the letter in the alphabet. Is that, are you following me? The, so each of those chapters have 22 verses with the exception of chapter three, which is where we're going to be spending our time. In chapter three, there's three verses for every Hebrew letter. So three times 22 is 66. So there's 66 verses in chapter three. Why is that? Um, there's some thought that because this was such a disorienting and chaotic time in Israel's history, the poets bring in this, this order to the chaos. There's something cool about that. Anyway, the book of the, book of the, the, book of the Bible is so fascinating and so brilliantly written. Um, but we're going to be reading uh, from Lamentations chapter 3. If you remember last week, we looked at what if, we asked this question, what if our first instinct when facing opposition was prayer? That's what we asked last week. This week, we want to we dig deeper and consider how do, we, how do we pray in those circumstances? How do we pray when facing opposition? How do we pray in seasons of suffering and tragedy and loss? And to help explore that, we're going to be reading from God's word, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 through 33. If you're willing, if you're able, it's our custom to stand and honor God as he speaks to us through his word. Lamentations chapter 3. We're starting verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love." for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word, which includes testimony accounts, the life of your people, your word which includes the words of the prophets who, who speak truth into a time and a place, truth that carries on for generations. And Lord, we thank you for the prayers of your people that are included in your book. We think of the Psalms, but we also think today of, of the laments here in Lamentations. 
that, Lord, give us a glimpse, a snapshot of, of, of what your people were feeling in this devastating moment in their history. Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we are this morning. Lord, to bring comfort and hope. But Lord, maybe just to, to help us express what we might be feeling in this moment as well. Lord, we thank you for uh, the words that we sang earlier that you meet us, Lord Jesus, in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Just a, a quick question. How many of you have ever been at a loss for words? You're all at a loss for words right now. No one's saying anything except for me. Yeah, yeah. That's a terrible joke too. I'm all full of them tonight. All right, this morning. Uh, my wife who is in uh, nursery right now, if she was sitting here, uh, she would tell you that, that me... Uh, her husband and her children certainly have never been at a loss for words um, because we talk all the time. There's a picture there of Bryson. The one time we had him at a loss for words was when we gave him a warhead candy. And so that is him at a loss for words trying to eat a sour warhead. And I don't, anyway, just a fun little picture to share. But there's a variety of different circumstances that might put us at a loss for words. Uh, Yvonne celebrated a pretty significant birthday this weekend and uh, pulled off a little bit of surprise. And, uh, and so she was kind of at a loss for words, and I was just at a sense of relief. Has, it, has anyone done a surprise party before? Like, bet, not the one who got surprised, but the one who did the planning? That is stressful. <laughs> I was so anxious, like, all week. Anyway. So there's, there's different moments that might put us at a loss for words. Some of them are good and unbelievable or something incredible happens or, or this moment of, of accomplishment and we're just like, I don't even know what to say because it's just an incredible moment. Uh, for some of us, maybe we're just quiet spoken and so we just aren't one of many words. Again, Yvonne would say that's not our children or me. And so there's all these different variety of circumstances that might put us at a loss for words and yet there's this other end of the spectrum, right? There's this other end of the spectrum that brings us to a loss of words when, when tragedy or loss or grief strikes. And Yvonne will tell you that, that rarely there's a time where I'm at a loss for words because I, I, I tend to talk a lot. But these are the moments that I've experienced where I've been at a loss for words. particularly stepping into that space as a pastor. As the one who's, who's, who's responsible for bringing God's presence or bringing some word of hope or encouragement, and I gotta tell you, there's these moments where I've, I've never felt less equipped for the work and call of pastor than riding up an elevator in the hospital, knowing what I'm about to step into and just thinking, what can I possibly offer in this moment? What word can I possibly share? And I just think, I, 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 I just feel like I have nothing to offer. A complete loss for words. And my guess is that, that many of us have, have been there, amen? Maybe as a friend, walking with a family or, or loved one, but maybe as, as the person, the family that's going through incredible, difficult tragedy or suffering or loss. As we think about that, I think now our hearts and our minds are just a step closer to the state of being of God's people at this time in their history. 
Lamentations is, is written during the time of the fall of Judah, the destruction of Jerusalem. And so the people of God, this is what they're experiencing as they watch their, their city burn, as they watch their homes destroyed, as they watch the temple. Now you gotta understand, the temple is, is the place where God's presence dwelt and they watch it torn stone by stone to the ground. They see family and loved ones beaten, tortured, killed, taken captive. Everything they knew, gone. And then, being arrested or or made captive and being forced to walk hundreds and hundreds of miles to some foreign nation that you have no idea where you're headed, to the nation of Babylon. Absolutely devastating. And I think for us, it, it's hard to relate. Certainly, there's, there's things that, we, that are devastating and, and, and injustices and suffering in our nation. And maybe the closest parallel for, for us as a nation, as a whole, is maybe 9-11. But even that was, was temporary, right? Lamentations is an expression of the communal hearts through prayer. And if you read this from chapter one through chapter five, it is a difficult book to read. The majority of this book is raw and honest emotion expressing pain and grief and shame and anger before the Lord. What I want to do this morning is is just consider the laments of the scriptures, not just lamentations, but over 50% of the psalms are actually psalms of lament and understand that what is a lament prayer and what can we glean from it? Our passage this morning only captures a glimpse of the first kind of major movement. The majority of the laments are just these raw and honest prayers before God. Verses 17 and 9 through 19, kind of where we began, kind of give us a glimpse of the laments, this raw kind of emotive prayer. We read this in, in verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity, what goodness, that that word is tov, goodness is. My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord is gone. This is lament prayer. When you come before the Lord completely unhindered and you just lay before the God all of your pain and your emotions. The first part of lament prayer is just honestly naming what is. We come before God and we name the circumstances, our suffering. We name what is. We name our emotions, what we're feeling. We name and we, we express our confusion in it all. Let's talk about each of those. First, we, we name our circumstances. We name our suffering. The laments name the people's suffering, oftentimes in a protest to God for that suffering. Lamentations chapter 1, 1 and 3, comparing the city of Jerusalem to a widow who is now enslaved, speaking of the nation of Judah as being forced into exile. Chapter 3 opens with these brutal descriptions using this kind of poetic and metaphorical language comparing the people of God to those who are being mangled by a bear, being pierced in the heart or kidney by an arrow, who are made a laughingstock, people who are, whose teeth are being ground down with gravel. 
naming the circumstances and the sufferings and just being honest before God. But not just naming the suffering and circumstances, the, the, the laments also name their emotions. Calling out to God, what am I feeling right now? And the prayers of lament name the reality of human emotion and suffering. Even in our passage this morning, all that I had hoped for from the Lord is gone. My hope is gone, verse 18. My soul is downcast within me. But the laments get even more honest and raw. And, and Linda uh, hinted at, at this, this image in, from Psalm 6 where the psalmist says, I flooded my bed with tears, drenching my couch with tears. The psalmist says, my eyes have grown weak with sorrow. Expressing emotion, sadness, grief, but also anger. The laments, the psalms express not only anger, but like, like vengeance. Like things that we would say, well, that's not really of God. No, but that is how the psalmist feels. Where you read some of the psalms, like Psalm 137, and you're thinking, they're, they're wishing ill will on, the chil- on children of Babylon. Now we know that's not part of God's will, but that is how the people feel and they express that to God. Not only emotions, but the, the laments express to God the confusion of it all. If you've been in tragedy, if you've, if you've experienced loss or grief, it's just so disorienting, right? So laments leave space for people to express that confusion around what's happening. And to express it openly and honestly, even expressing their interpretation of these events, it comes in the form of accusation against God, Lamentations 2, along with this brutal questions that we read, particularly in the Psalms of Lament, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, these these questions, just expressing their confusion and question before God, like, God, what is going on? I don't understand. How could this be happening? Now, this only offers like a sliver of the laments in Scripture, but but I'm, I'm hoping that it helps us get a picture of how honest and raw and emotive that the Psalms of lament and the lamentations actually are. Are we getting a picture? And I think this actually brings us to the challenge today. At least, I think, in, in many of our own um, kind of subcultures. The challenge today is, is for many of us, I think, we don't, we don't pray like this. Many of us, we don't pray like this. For many of us, we, we, not only that, but we struggle to pray this way. And it's for a variety of reasons, and they're not, they're not bad, but just for a variety of reasons. Maybe, maybe we were brought up to revere God, and, we had a, and that's a good thing, like a high standard for reverence for God. And so these prayers feel irreverent. It feels maybe wrong or, or disrespectful to even talk to God like that. Maybe for some of us that are in our subculture, we, we valued kind of a strength of faith that's kind of shown in kind of like a, a stoic kind of posture, Right? And so if, if, man, they're handling that so well and they're showing this faith, 
And so maybe like we, we see these kinds of honest and, and, and emotive prayers as, as, as showing a lack of faith in God or, or sometimes maybe for some of us we feel the burden of being strong for other family members and that's real. Like again, these are not bad reasons. I, I think it, another part of it is, is it makes us uncomfortable to see others pray this way, right? We don't know what to do with that. And I get it. Because all those same pressures, I, I feel those as well. In fact, for me, to be honest, for me, one of the, the difficulties for me is, is anger and praying anger to God. And it's not because of any kind of theological conviction. It's just because I think I've gotten so good at just burying anger somewhere deep within my soul. And so I can express other emotions, but anger is a tough one for me. But look at the Psalms of Lament. And not only that, but look at Jesus. I want to direct our minds to Jesus. Who, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does that sound familiar for many of us? That's what Jesus prayed while hanging on the cross. Psalm 22. Or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's calling out, crying out in in emotion and stress, right, to, to God the Father saying, if there's any other way, Father, take this cup from me. Or one of the most powerful stories is, is from John chapter 11 when, when one of Jesus' good friends, Lazarus, has died. His, his sisters meet him on the road, Mary and Martha. And when Mary comes up to Jesus to express, her, where were you? And what does Jesus know? Jesus knows that in a moment he's going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. But what does Jesus do? He sees Mary's pain and he embraces her and he weeps with deep sobs from somewhere deep within And so maybe for some of us, we don't pray that way or we're a little uncomfortable with it, but the scriptures and, and Jesus reminds us that there's something about these prayers that are good and are from God. You see, friends, lament is, is not, it does not show a lack of faith, but I would argue that, that, that lament is rather an act of faith and worship, Amen. In fact, as I was just studying Lamentations 3, lament is, is, is a search for hope and trust. When everything around us has fallen apart, lament is a way that we're searching for God and searching to find hope and trust in God in a season or a moment when it's hard to find or grasp. And this is where chapter three is the center of the book of Lamentations, right? And the center of the book is is revealing, tucked here in the center of this book, which is this profound statement of hope and trust, which again, I think is the aim of these prayers of lament. Laments are prayers brought to God, a search for God in the midst of brokenness, suffering, confusion, and isolation. And there's two chapters of laments that come before these words that we read. We always... We always zero in on chapter three because this is the, the chapter with the hope. But for two chapters, there have been all of these raw laments. In verse 21, we read this, yet. All of that that's come before, yet. This I call to mind and therefore I hope, I have hope. Yet, as if to say, despite all the evidence, despite all that's happening around me, I have hope because of this. Now notice something. What does the author call to mind? It's not his circumstances, nor is it some future outcome. I have, in other words, like, I have hope because it's, it's not that bad. No, it's really bad. 
He doesn't say, I have hope because, well, things will get better soon. It's not going to get better soon, right? That's not where his hope is found. Instead, his hope is found in the character of God. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And what does he go to? He goes to who he knows and believes God is, the person, the character of God. Our hope is found in who the Lord is. He doesn't have the luxury of diminishing his circumstances. He doesn't have the luxury of of saying that better circumstances or outcomes are coming soon. He doesn't have that luxury because his whole city, his whole life has been destroyed and his people have been carried off into exile. It is that bad. And yet, it's so illuminating to us who have that luxury so often. We can diminish things or, or we can say things are gonna get better. But what does, what does Lamentations direct our heart to? Our hope is in who God is. Our hope is found in God's character. Notice the thing that's pointed out in verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I highlighted three words there. Uh, Great is the Lord's great love, chesed. Chesed, steadfast love, loving kindness. Uh, His compassion, that is the word racham. If you remember, boy, it was like a year ago, rechem or rechum comes from the Hebrew root word for womb the compassion of a mother. Um, And then faithfulness is actually emuna, which comes from the same root word as emet. Those are three words, if you remember, from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. When when God reveals to Moses on, on the mountain who he is, and God describes God's own character, he says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Those are the words, same words that Lamentations is hinting at from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Faithfulness now. Faithfulness is a word that means steady and true, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Even in our darkest moment, the people can find hope because they know the Lord and know who the Lord is. The Lord is love. The Lord is compassion. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is true. And I believe the prayers of lament are, are, are a search, a prayerful search to get to this point of believing that it is true. Which again leads to, to kind of today's challenge. And, and, I, and I say today's challenge, but really this has been a, cha- this has been a challenge throughout history. And the challenge is this, is that hope and trust, man, sometimes seem far away. Have you been there, amen? Sometimes hope and and trusting in God seems someplace out there that is not my own experience. And the honest truth is the search for those things is hard. It's hard to find hope in these moments. It's hard to trust in the Lord in these seasons and moments. Our experience tells us that much. My guess is most of us have been there. Trying to make sense of tragedy and loss. Trying to make sense of injustices. Overwhelmed with grief and pain. Or maybe trying to find a path forward in the face of uncertainty. Overwhelmed with anxiety and worry. And to be honest, I've sat with plenty of good and faithful people who in that moment could not get to a point of hope or trust in God. 
And simply reading Lamentations 3 didn't get them there. It's not like some switch that flips. Sometimes we can't get there in the moment. But not only does our experience tell us that sometimes hope and trust are hard to find, actually I think the Bible is also honest about that. The Bible is honest that sometimes we can't get there, right? And so don't let guilt or shame compound your troubles if you just can't get there in a moment. That's why Lamentations 3 isn't the end of the book of Lamentations. Lamentations 3 isn't the final word, like boom, God's love, God's compassion, God's faithfulness, that's it, resolved, boom, right? No, it continues. It's the middle. And then, and then it goes back into lament and uncertainty about what comes next. In fact, if, you're, if, 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 if you've been following in chapter 17 of the story and included there is, is this beautiful flow from Lamentations chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and then 5, but they don't include the last verse in the book of Lamentations. The last verse in Lamentations helps us remind us that sometimes we don't always get there, and I think it's, in, it's, it's on purpose. Lamentations goes back and forth into lament, and we read this. We read this. Restore us to yourself. The Lord reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why, why do you always forget us? Why do you always forsake us so long? Do you see the tension in those two verses? And here are the last two verses. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. That's a beautiful verse. And then here's the last verse in Lamentations. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. You see how the book of Lamentations just leaves kind of this open-ended, unresolved tension. doesn't end with the statement of trust, right? It's this kind of unresolved tension. Now, it's not the only book in the scriptures, right? But I think it's important that sometimes we just can't get to a place of trust. In fact, all of the Psalms of Lament in the book of Psalms end with this statement of trust. There's a very specific rhythm in the laments, and they almost all of them end with a statement of trust except for one, Psalm 88. doesn't get there. And I think that's because God in his grace understands that this is a journey. You know, that, that this journey of lament doesn't always take the same amount of time as it takes to read Psalm 13. Sometimes it's a process and a journey and we have to just cry out to God until we finally get to a place where God restores our hope and our trust in him. And here's the fascinating thing about this word hope. It's used multiple times in Lamentations 3. There's two different words on the screen translated as hope in those, those verses that we read. Both of those words that are translated as hope can also be translated. In fact, their primary meaning is actually to wait. To wait or await. But also hope and even trust can be translated. And here's what it means. To wait upon the Lord. To wait upon the Lord is to hope. It is to trust. Because when we are able to trust, and we are, when we have hope in God and we have a trust in God that offers us reason and willingness to wait. The other side of that, if we don't have hope and if we don't have any reason to trust, we have no reason or willingness to wait. We just can just give up. Waiting and hoping, they're, they're, they're connected. 
And now for the people of Israel who hope, their hope and their trust in this devastating time in their history as they were exiled into Babylon, their hope came and their trust came not only from who they knew who God was, his love and his compassion and his faithfulness, but also from the words of the prophet. And we had these words from, from Ezekiel and from Jeremiah who said, you will return from exile. It'll take a generation, but you will return. And not only that, but they began to speak of one who would come, the Messiah, right? Who would turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. There would be a Messiah who would come and these dry bones would come back to life and flesh, these wild visions of Ezekiel that, that gave hope to the people. And what we know as God's people, as Christians, is that the Messiah would come in the form of God's son, Jesus Christ. And all of those things that the people of God had been waiting for for generations and centuries would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, right? Coming to bring redemption, restoration, and rescue for a people who are lost in sin and suffering the consequences of sin. And now as, as those who are Christians, who are those who follow and believe in Jesus Christ, our hope and our trust comes not only in what Christ has already done, but the fact that one day Jesus Christ will come again. And on that day, the, the brokenness, the sin, the injustice, the suffering, the tragedy and loss, all those things will be wiped away and we will live in perfect unity with God in heaven. That's our hope. That's what we wait for. That's where our trust comes. Amen. And as I share that, what I recognize though is that life is still difficult and so often overwhelming. There's moments when each of us get to a point where we're at a loss for words, right? Where we experience loss, we experience tragedy, uncertainty, and suffering that leaves us shaken and hurting. Or maybe we're walking with someone who's in a similar spot and we just don't know what to say. And this, friends, is why God's word is so, such a gift. Because the laments in our scriptures, when we don't have the words, God gives us his word to give us words to speak. As a pastor in those moments when I'm, I'm, I'm terrified about to step into a space that I know I have nothing to give, what do I do? I open up God's word and we read together, maybe laments, maybe words of hope and we just trust the spirit to minister in that moment for whatever that family needs. We trust the spirit to meet us there. Finally, as we close, many, many months ago, we do a podcast. I mentioned that last week. Pastors gather, talk about a book. We did a book um, by, by Tish Harrison Warren called Prayer in the Night. And she writes about the impact of, of, of one of these formal written prayers in her tradition, the Anglican Episcopal Church, the Compline Prayer. Um, and she writes about that prayer, but she writes more, more deeply about um, what does it mean to borrow words and to lean on one another in these times of grief and pain. She writes this. I got it on the screen. In times of deep pain in my own life, she writes, the belief of the church has carried me. We believe together. We sang that song that was the Apostles' Creed, and as we sang, I believe together, we say, we all believe, right? Thank God, belief isn't left to me in my ever-fluctuating faithfulness. In the midst of pain and doubt, we need the guardrails of showing up for prayer and worship, explains philosopher James Smith. 
There's going to be a season in every Christian pilgrimage where you shouldn't be surprised to walk into that space. Some days I show up at church with my doubts and I'm kind of counting on you to sing for me. Isn't that beautiful? The scriptures, the songs, the sacraments, and the prayers of the church give us a lifeline in pain. When we want to know God, but we're too weak to walk, these practices carry us. When we don't have the words, we allow the scriptures to speak for us. When we can't find it within ourselves to pray or to sing or even believe, we lean on one another to do the praying and the singing and yes, even the believing for us. Friends, this is the power of being in community. This is why being present in this space on Sunday mornings is so powerful because it reminds us that we are not alone. The Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus is with us through the word, through the prayers of the people, through the sacrament, and through the body of believers. We live in a culture that says it's all up to us. No, no, that's not how God has designed us. Let's pray for the Spirit to open our eyes to help us see. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we recognize as we, as we read prayers of lament, Lord, as we remember our own suffering and pain, Lord, it's hard. And Lord, we recognize once again that, that we live in a world that is, that is broken, that is sinful. And Lord, life is hard. Yet this we call to mind, and therefore we have hope that, Lord, you are a God of great love, that you are a God of great compassion, that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith and we pray that you'd help us in our unbelief. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. I cry to you In darkest places I will call You read to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord Were you to count my sin I stand redeemed by Christ alone. 
reminder that uh, we will be gathering uh, to share some stories, to share some life around some food. Um, there'll be some instruction. We're going to be eating in the center section, so you can we'll be stacking the center chairs. Um, that song, um, anyway, moves my heart. I don't know about you, um, but God is faithful, and uh, God is God is good. And if that is a, a challenge for you to believe this morning, know that we're here with you and we're gonna believe for you, we're gonna pray for you. And you don't need to suffer on your own. So share that with someone so that you allow someone that privilege of walking with you in this. We're a family, amen? As you go from here, receive God's blessing and then some food, but first a blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. that your promises will hold together and I will dwell in the hope of your love forever I am convinced that your promises will hold together Oh, you're faithful, God.